Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different grape varieties, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we look at Chile, beginning our focus on the major wine-producing countries around the world outside of Europe. And the reason I begin with Chile is because this is the oldest uh, wine-producing country in the world outside of Europe. The Spanish first brought great varieties to the Americas in the early 1500s. And the first vineyards planted in Mexico were in 1525, so those were the first vineyards planted anywhere in the Americas. And then the uh, Spanish went down to Peru, and then to Chile, and then across to Argentina. And so the first uh, vines planted in Chile were in the 1550s, and the first vines in Central Valley were in 1554. And Central Valley has been the focus of Chilean production ever since. So the wine industry is technically uh, 460, 70 years old by now. Although the Chilean wine industry as we know it is very modern, and we'll look at that as we explore the history. So though Mexico was planted before Chile, Mexican uh, wine production stopped in the the 1600s because the Spanish banned the production of wine in Mexico because it was seen as competition for the Spanish wine industry. They tried to do the same with um, Chile, but the, uh, the Chilean governor in 1678 ignored the ban and actually encouraged the planting of new farms. And the Chilean wine industry grew and grew. And in the 18th century, Chile was known for the quantity and the cheapness of its wines, a reputation that it still has today. So the vines were brought to Mexico and Peru and Chile and Argentina for religious regions so that the settlers could celebrate mass. One of the great varieties brought was what is now known as Listan Negro, which is grown in Tenerife, and it's likely that the Spanish settlers picked up cuttings in Tenerife and then brought them to the Americas. In Chile, that grape is called Pais, which means country. And so it's like the country grape, the simple everyday grape of the, of the country. In Argentina, it's called Criola Chica, and in the US, it's called Mission, because it was brought by the missionaries. So winemaking was pretty primitive up until the 19th century. Until um, things really got going in the 19th century, a Frenchman, Claudio Gay, persuaded the government to set up Quinta Normale, which is an experimental nursery which was uh, planted with European vines, and that was 1830. And so Chile had a collection of vinifera cuttings stored in that nursery when the the rest of the world was hit with powdery mildew, and then even more disastrously by phylloxera. And that started a boom period. This is just after Chilean independence, which was gained in 1818. And rich Chileans began to travel around the world, experiencing the best wines of Europe. And classic varieties were imported into Chile by one of those rich uh, businessmen. And that was 1851. And those cuttings are the basis of the modern wine industry. And for those rich Chileans, owning a wine estate was seen as a mark of success. And these wine estates were often run by uh, French uh, growers or winemakers who had escaped France and phylloxera, with the wine industry there completely decimated by phylloxera. A lot of them emigrated to South America, Chile, Argentina and Uruguay, so they could continue to make wine. And for some time in the 19th century, Chile had the world's only healthy wine industry. It was effectively run by 10 rich families, and the industry was so profitable and wine consumption so high that taxes rose to, so the government could benefit uh, from the wine industry as well. But the 20th century wasn't so happy. Quality was sacrificed for volume, and then the government intervened, and the temperance law capped production at 60 litres per head, with heavy fines on anyone planting vines, and these laws remained in place from the 1930s until 1974. 
and that meant that domestic demand declined, and the wine prices plummeted in the 70s and 80s. Half the vineyards were pulled up, some of them actually in good conditions. And of course there was the unstable political and economical environment as well. The first socialist government was elected in the early 1970s, and then it was overthrown by a military coup, and General Pinochet became president. Uh, lots of vines were pulled up during this period. So though uh, Pinochet had a repressive uh, regime, he did introduce the free market economics, which did stimulate growth in the 1980s, and then he fell in 1987 and democracy was introduced. And this is when the Chilean wine industry really got going and began to focus on exports and quality rather than domestic demand. So there's a huge amount of plantings between 87 and 93, with 10,000 hectares planted to international varieties, lots of investment from abroad. And so the switch was uh, to exports, and exports increased by 60% in 89, 50% in 1990, and another 50% in 1991. And this is just at the moment when the world was opening up to wines from elsewhere, from, not from Europe. So um, this is when New Zealand and Australia and South Africa and California really began to be drunk around the world, and Chile was part of that boom, and a nice timing. And this, uh, this boom lasted in the, the 90s and the 2000s, but now it is facing increased competition. And the reputation of Chile for inexpensive wine, it's good quality and it's fruity, means that, um, that that's become the received perception of Chile. And ch the challenge for Chile is, is to um, get both producers to make more expensive and quality wine, and also for consumers domestically, but particularly abroad, to, um, to drink more expensive Chilean wine. But because the image of Chilean wine is the exact opposite of that, it's difficult to change people's perceptions. But people, the producers are definitely beginning to focus on the correct variety in the correct place and also to express the region. Chile has the potential for a huge amount of regionality because it's such a, an interesting country geographically and geologically and climatically. So more producers are beginning to do that, but it's a small uh, rebirth, if you like. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Chile ad uh, adapts in the future and begins to produce much higher quality wine and if people will drink it. So let's look at the geography and the climate of Chile. Its geography is extremely unusual because it's 5,000 kilometres in length, but in width it's only about 150 kilometres, so it's an extremely long country but a very narrow country. And the way that we look at Chile's um, wine-producing wine regions is not looking at longitude, which is usually the case. If you think in France, we go from the Loire to Bordeaux to South France. That's the going north, uh, north to south, everything gets warmer and the climate changes. In Chile, we're looking more at latitude, going from west to east. So the coastal part of Chile is extremely influenced by the Pacific Ocean. And then the coast rises up to a small mountain range, which is three to eight hundred meters, so it's more hills. And where the vines are planted on, in the co that coastal region affects the growing conditions. Some, if the vines are planted extremely close to the coast, they'll have lots of Pacific breezes and fog influences, and that cools everything down quite a bit. The vines might be pl planted up the slopes of the coastal mountains, which will um, means that elevation has an influence, or they might be planted on the other side of the coastal mountains, meaning that the Pacific influence is limited a, quite a great deal. Then you have the central valley, um, so the coastal mountains fall into the valley, and this is where it's hot and it's dry, and the soils are fertile, and this is where the Chilean wine industry has been um, 
concentrated ever since the 1550s. So winemaking here, or grape growing, is quite easy. And this is where the inexpensive, good value, easy drinking wines are made. And then the Central Valley rises up into the Andes. And the Andes are extremely important for the uh, Chilean wine industry, in part because they provide the irrigation. So the snowmelt falls down into the valley, and that's, uh, that's the natural irrigation source for, for Chile. Whether irrigation or not is used is up to the producer, but someone producing high, high quantity is going to use lots of irrigation. Someone producing quality is going to use lesser irrigation. But certainly in planting young vines, some irrigation is going to be necessary to get those vines uh, growing. But the Andes are also important for the production of wine, because if the vineyards are planted in the foothills of the Andes, then um, it's higher quality, with slightly more difficult growing conditions, with rockier soils. And also the cold air meets the warm air of the valley, and that will rise, and that will just uh, cool things down a little bit as well. And of course that cool, cold air as it rises up the Andes um, produces rain. So Chile does have challenges with climate change. There's less rain during the winter and the summers are really dry and hot. So it has had issues with wildfires, which was the case last year in 2017. And that's something that's affecting a lot of countries with a Mediterranean climate. Because there's less rain during the winter, there's more chance of wildfire during the summer. And that obviously can affect growing conditions. Chile... Um, it's uniquely isolated as a country. To the north, it's desert, so sand. To the east, it's the Andes, rising up to 7,000 metres. And to the south, it's the Antarctic, so it's snowy and icy. And then to the west, it's the Pacific Ocean. So it's trapped on all sides by these extreme either weather or geographical conditions. And the advantage of that is that Chile has never been affected by phylloxera. So it is safe in the 19th century, and it's been safe ever since. And this is another unique selling point for Chile with the ungrafted vines, although some producers will uh, graft because of other pests and other diseases. But with no phylloxera, that has a unique character to Chilean wine, and only South Australia and Washington State in the US can boast, but can boast to be phylloxera-free. So let's look at the grape varieties which are planted in Chile. The most planted grape variety by far is Cabernet Sauvignon, nearly 40,000 hectares of plantings. And Cabernet Sauvignon has an easy life in Chile, particularly in Central Valley. Lots of sun, the soils are well-drained and fertile, few problems with pests or ripening, but then you do have the cool Pacific breezes just to get some uh, concentration and quality so that they're not overripe. But the ease of the growing conditions does mean that the growers and winemakers can ask too much of Cabernet Sauvignon with high yields and planting it where it might not necessarily should be planted. And so Cabernet Sauvignon Chile is going to be quite, quite easy, straightforward, depending on where it's planted in Central Valley, it's just going to be fruity. But then the more difficult growing conditions, particularly in Alto Maipo, which rises up from Santiago, the capital city, and all the, the historic regions are based around Santiago. The Andes rise from Central Valley in Maipo from Santiago. Then you've got higher quality because you've got much uh, rockier soils and also those cooler conditions. And Cabernet Sauvignon is sometimes blended with Carmenere and Syrah. Then there's Merlot, which has, has just over 10,000 hectares of plantings. Lots of confusion surrounding Merlot. It was brought in the 1850s. And in the 1850s, uh, before Phylloxera hit, uh, quite a bit of Carmenere was planted in Bordeaux. Now there's only four hectares planted because um, it wasn't replanted really after Phylloxera. Cause it's, it's quite a um, straightforward grape and what it tastes like, so it's not really worth 
bothering with. But a lot of the Merlot brought, brought to Chile in the 1850s was actually Carmenet. And up until 1994, wines were labelled as Merlot, whether they were Merlot or not. They might have been Carmenet on its own, they might have been a blend of Merlot and Carmenet. No one really cared or knew. But Carmenet was identified as unique in 1994, and the first varietal Carmenet was made in 1994. So the Merlot um, that Chile became famous for, inexpensive, straightforward, easy drinking, may well have been Carmenet or a blend. And even now, some of the Merlot planted may well be Carmenet. People are still sorting the two great varieties out. So with Carmenet, there's officially 9,000 hectares planted. Um, what Chileans want is for Carmenet to be the signature grape of Chile, just as Malbec is in Argentina. The trouble is, Carmenet isn't that exciting, and so it's been difficult for Chile to really get consumers on board with Carmenet as being the signature grape, but they're trying. It's late ripening and vigorous, it likes moderately fertile soils and the sunny, warm, dry weather of Chile, so it is suited to the um, growing conditions of Chile. But it can have low acidity, especially if it's harvested late, and so it often requires acidification or blending with more uh, concentrated structured grapes like Merlot or Cabernet Sauvignon. So Chileans are still figuring out what to do with Carmenere, how to promote it and how to make the best wines from it. The best region for Carmenere is Colchagua in Central Valley, and these will have bitter chocolate, smoky paprika and black plum aromas. Then for the white grape varieties, uh, the most planted grape, white grape is Sauvignon Blanc, and this um, is interesting in Chile for several reasons. There's 13,000 hectares of Sauvignon Blanc planted, although no one's quite sure what, what is Sauvignon Blanc and what is not, because for a long time it was confused with Sauvignon Ass, which is also known as Sauvignon Vert or Frulano in Italy. And over a thousand hectares of this grape variety have been identified when they previously thought it was Sauvignon Blanc. The grape first arrived from UC Davis in the 1980s. Unfortunately, UC Davis has a bit of a ropey track record in giving people the incorrect grape variety. And in the 80s, experimental plantings in Casablanca and San Antonio were made. And these are still the best regions for Sauvignon Blanc. And Sauvignon Blanc can really uh, reflect the different climate and the different soils of uh, Chile perhaps better than any other white grape variety, and the styles do change according to where it is planted. In Casablanca it's quite zippy with lemongrass aromas, and what happens in Casablanca, which is very near the coast, is that the coastal influence is felt. So nearer the coast, then the more herbaceous the wines are. And then as you go further away from the coast, planting to altitude, they become more tropical and fuller, so really reflecting where they're grown. In San Antonio, the wines are a bit oilier, and there's a sub-region of San Antonio Leda, which um, specialises in concentrated, spicy styles of Sauvignon Blanc. And then Chardonnay, also widely planted, just over 10,000 hectares. And as in the rest of the world, Chardonnay was made in a homogenous style, oaky and rich and full, and the same as the world over. But it's getting better better in Chile. Again, like the rest of the world, cooler areas have been identified for higher quality Chardonnay, which um, is much more uh, subtle and concentrated. Lamari, 200 metres plantings, and we'll look at the different wine regions in the next episode, so I won't go into too much detail. Uh, but Lamari has um, altitude and clay and limestone soils, which is ideal for Chardonnay, and these are more elegant and uh, racy wines. San Antonio, waxier and riper, and then the coastal cool sub-regions of Casablanca, you have the citrus and high acidity. So those, that's the history of Chile and the, the geographical uniqueness of Chile, and also the different grape varieties planted in that country. Very interesting to see where Chile 
will go and how it will develop. In the next episode, we'll look at the different uh, regions of Chile. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. Thank you.